Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. I believe, Chad, we're getting what, Jerry Dulac this half hour? Yes, we are. Good. All right. Talk a little bit about the PGA where Tiger Woods is three under par through 16. He's tied for ninth. Jason Day, the leader, at five under par. Shot a 65 at uh, TPC Harding Park. All right. Well, we get to Jerry, our play-by-play call of the day. Big two-run homer last night as Arizona beat Houston. Swing and a drive down the right field line. If it's fair, it's gone. And this is a two-run homer for Escobar's first of the year. And the Diamondbacks now with a big night. They've hit four. And the lead goes to 14-7. to seven. And that was the final. Arizona beat the Astros last night 14-7. to seven. In Major League Baseball. With that, very pleased to bring in uh, Jerry Dulac. Jerry, I hope uh, I've thought about you a lot. I hope you are doing well right now. Well, Steve, I am. And like, uh, it's nice to chat with you. And like everyone else, I'm just trying to tiptoe my way through this um, world that we live in. It's uh, not the easiest thing, but uh, you know, it's it's the same for everybody. And I'm doing fine. Thank you. And I hope the same for you. Oh, thanks, Jerry. Appreciate that. And uh, uh, if you know Jerry's daughter's up here at Penn State, and so it's you know it's great to have her be a part of all this. Yeah, Jerry, she's, eager to, the... she's eager to get back to campus, even though it's uh, restricted, as we know. And uh, hopefully, he's got a fingers crossed that they're going to play football. Although I saw Micah Parsons opted out of the season this year, Steve. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's excited to get back up on campus and begin her second year. Absolutely. I want to start with the PGA Championship, then I'll eventually get to the Steelers here. Uh, let's start with Tiger Woods, uh, because he's three under at least through 16. I haven't had a chance to look over and see if he's finished up yet or not. How does this course set up for him? Because obviously TPC Harding Park is not going, it's not on the regular tour, so how does this set up for him? Yeah, you know, Steve, I was just looking, and I, I and, and you might have more of an updated leaderboard than I, because I saw him at two under through 15. But nonetheless, um, I, the, the course itself, I mean, you know, he grew up that way, so the grasses and everything wouldn't be a problem for him. The When I say when the weather conditions, car- you know, typically wouldn't be a problem for him. I mean, he knows all about the, you know, uh, uh, you know, all the Santa Ana winds he always talks about and all the weather patterns. But I think the, I think the big thing for him is going to be, you know, and he admits it that those temperatures, like they have at least today, um, aren't conducive to playing well and being loose when you have a bad back. And so I would say that to me, if it would continue for four days, would be the bigger issue. Now we know he's only played one event, and that was the Memorial 
since uh, since our, the shutdown. Um, but I think that's what. Um, but he, you know, he he came through it okay today. You know, Tiger in major championships, he doesn't run out to big leads typically, except for the U.S. Open at Pebble in 2000. He kind of hangs back. You know, he turns. He turns 70 into 68, he turns 73 into 70, turns 75 into 72, and he hangs in there. And um, that's what he's doing today. He's playing well. But, but we'll see. If the weather stays cool, I just think it's going to be tough for him. You know, he'll have a tougher time tomorrow because he will have played 18 holes and grinded today. So uh, we'll see what happens in round two for him. I think, Steve, I think that's going to be his biggest issue, not the golf course. Again, he's very familiar with all that. It's going to just be, I think, the weather conditions. Yeah, I I agree with that because I think I saw that the highest temperature for the four days was 68, you know, with with some breeze. And uh, there's an element when you have so many people that are really terrific at something, and, of course, somebody like Woods is exceptional. But sometimes it's oh, the luck sorry. of the draw as to, like, so that you get the morning round and it's not the best time to play, and then you're going to play the next day in the afternoon round, and it turns out that's not the best time to play because just uh, the roll of the dice, it, you you didn't get the luck of the draw on, on what time you play on, on a particular day. There's no question about it, and that's a big factor. Um, you know, it, could, it just so happens that you might catch the weather good in the morning one day and good in the afternoon and vice versa, get bad weather in the morning. And in, in the one day in bad weather in the afternoon the next. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of factors that could go in to winning a major. Let's face it, there's only four of them a year. You have to have your game in the right, uh, uh, right place. You have to have that luck of the draw. You have to hope that somebody else just doesn't shoot lights out. Um, and and, and it, it's so difficult to win majors, and that's why guys who win multiple majors um, are, are to be applauded. So, um yeah, it, and Tiger not having played, um, you know, it's it, you know, would you would not think he would be able to come out and and play all four rounds, but you know they were out there wearing stocking caps today, especially you know obviously yeah. in the morning, and um, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see tomorrow. I think tomorrow will be a big key, uh, you know, for his his back and with the weather. And, you know, again, it's just hard for them to get loose. And so we'll see. I, I think tomorrow will be, a, will be a big key how he responds after playing today in, in the chilly weather. Let's ask you about Brooks Kepka because I believe in his career he has more majors than tour wins. He's got, I think, four majors, three tour wins. Shot 66 today, so he's off to a good start. All right, so he's off to a good start. Why has he become what is it about his game when you watch him, Jerry, with that experienced eye of yours that says, you know what, the guy has a major game, that's why he can win major championships? Well, there's no doubt about it, and it's his mental toughness, but it's funny, Steve, because even he will, when you talk about more majors than tour wins, um, it it points up his level of preparation and, and how he elevates everything about his game to a major championship. And he's talked about it where... Uh, all the all the preparation and the things he does during the week and and the, his quote uh, uh, you know party that travels with him you know his crew his team uh, whether it's the, the chef or the trainer you know all the preparation he focuses so much that week and he says when he gets to a regular tour event I don't want to say it's like a complete letdown or come down for him but it's almost the, what happens for him and he he admits he has a hard time 
getting up for regulatory events or has had a hard time, and he was trying to improve on that, trying to, if you will, treat it more like a major in terms of having his team around. So there's no doubt he he elevates his game physically and mentally especially uh, for a major championship. But you can see the guy, he's, he's all business on the golf course. Um, you know, I think he, obviously he's an intimidating type of player with the shots and he could hit and, and his length. Um, and, and so um, he has he has that tenacity. Now, you know, three years ago, nobody would have ever thought that. But after what he's been able to do, win back-to-back twice at a U.S. Open and a PGA, uh, is pretty impressive. And here, you know, he all of a sudden, a week before, he elevates his game last week in Memphis, finishes uh, tied for second, um, and, and just in time for the PGA. And... Boy, you talk about rubber stamping a guy a favorite, and if you had to say who's going to win, I mean, boy, you're really safe picking Brooks Kepka just because of the way he's played in majors, and here he is again, coming off second place and shooting four under in the first round. Um, so yeah, he's you know he's just he's one of those guys. He has that 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 tenacity, that focus. He's not afraid to get in the lead. He's not afraid to challenge guys like Tiger. You know, a couple years ago. And um, there, there's no doubt about it. We've seen other guys have hot streaks, like uh, you know, Patty Harrington won three majors in two years yeah. when Tiger was hurt. You know, Marco Mira won a couple in a year, but but nothing like what this guy's been able to do. I want to ask about the the PGA. It's a major, but it's also one that I think at times has had um, they've tried to fight the identity. Back in Ben Hogan's era, it was match play. Then they went to stroke play. Then they were the fourth major. Then last year they moved up in the calendar to second. Now this year, by circumstance, they're the first. Uh, they go to Harding Park this year. Uh, what's been your thought on on the courses they picked and what their identity is, at least to the general public? Not just to you. I mean, to you and me, we know it's a major, but to the general public. I think the PGA has tried to... Um, pick more iconic courses if you will for the most part I think they've done a better job of making their golf courses play a lot more difficult the last five six seven years Um, it used to be the guys would go to the PGA and it just they just weren't the same conditions obviously it's the British Open certainly not like the US Open and of course there's you know there's no comparison to what the setup is at Augusta National Um, but I think I think the decision to move up to May last year, I think, was good for them because it gave them more identity. It took them out of football season, college football season, NFL preseason. Yep. You know, um, uh, I think that was a was a major step. I think one of the reasons why the the why the event lost some of its, um, uh, you know, credibility is a strong word, but for lack of a better word, I'll use that because they allowed 20 to 25 club professionals in their field. So all of a sudden, the strength of field just wasn't as good. Um, And so that created a lack of identity because it was looked at as the weakest of the four majors. So I think all those things combined, uh, you know, and and again, the fact of where it fell on the schedule, I think all those things, Steve, combined to make it, you know, the least popular major, the one that seemed to be... Uh, the least insignificant, uh, the least significant, most insignificant, um, 
But I think that I think moving to May, I think was a, was a big boost, and now it gains a little bit more cred because they're the first major of the year, as you said, through circumstance. Yeah, exactly. All right, I want to switch gears to the Steelers for a moment. I want to get to Ben uh, talking about the elbow and the surgery and so forth. It sounds like he has played, based on what he said, with some pain for a while. Uh, so, um, and. What what are your thoughts on that and what he endured to get to this point and what could the surgery mean? Well, you know, Steve, he had said that the injury, that the, the the nagging injury that bothered his elbow for a while, a couple of seasons actually, was never serious enough to that warranted anything more than icing and some therapy. Uh, was never anything that was debilitating to prevent him from practicing or playing, maybe in an isolated circumstance with practice. Um, and to him, knowing that his elbow, look, his elbow will never be 100%, right. but after the surgery, knowing that what was bothering him has been corrected is, I think, going to be not only a, a plus for him physically, but mentally. And he said that, knowing that his elbow, you know, that recurring problem isn't going to be there. So I think that's that's a big plus, too. You know, he didn't need Tommy John surgery. He had no damage to his ulnar collateral ligament. That's when you have Tommy John surgery. He had three of his five flexor tendons became detached from the bone. They reattached them. And, and you know, the thing that they are going to monitor with him Steve, is his ability to spin the ball. His spin rate, and from all indications from the people I've talked to, his spin rate has been very good. Although I will say, uh, we we talked on a Zoom call today with Mike Tomlin, and I I had my eyebrow raised when he said he watched him throw the other day, and the only thing he noticed was that his spiral wasn't as tight as what he was accustomed to, and that's what they'll be looking for. Mm-hmm. That's what the, the, the tight spiral, the spin rate is what determines the tight spiral. The spin rate determines velocity. The spin rate determines your ability to throw that tight spiral in bad, windy conditions. Um, and, and so, um, but like I said, all indications are everything with him is fine, right on schedule, and they fully expect him, and he will be ready for September 14th when, when they open the season, if they open the season on September 14th. Right. Um, there would be what, this would be what, day 9 or 10 of camp? I mean, obviously, I've well, been out there every well, day. Well, for them, but the veterans didn't come, the veterans didn't have to be there the first week. Oh, there were a couple of them, but all yeah. of them reported on Monday, and the first time he threw at Heinz Field was Monday, and then he had, a, he had an extended session there. He said a really heavy one, and he woke up the next morning and was thrilled that his arm was fine, and then he threw again Tuesday and took yesterday off. So uh, I, I'm going to assume he probably threw again today. But they're going to monitor it, I mean, as they always do. I mean, they've done this at camp before. I mean, they give them, they give them days off. Um, they don't have them practice every day. They do it during the regular season. I mean, the guy's 38 years old, and this is year 17. Elbow injury or not, they always they monitor how much they work him beyond the game. And, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's minimal. And so it will continue to be minimal. And I'll tell you, Steve, they, they were not going to play him in the preseason, whether it was five games or two. And, of course, now it's none, so it's a moot point. But they weren't, uh, uh, they weren't going to let him play. He said... Ironically, that you know, he said I uh, never thought as a 17-year vet you'd hear him say he misses the preseason. He said he would have liked to have gone in there 
you know, get the feel for the game again. But, Steve, last year he played two series, you know, when he was healthy. And there, and there was no way they were going to let him play. And um, he would have walked into the season opener with that being his first action. And But that's going to be the same for everybody else, too, now with, uh, you know, with no preseason. Right, exactly. Um, so, Jerry, what about how the Steelers have at least uh, navigated to this point? Have they been able to get, I think, what, Jalen Samuels, I think, tested positive. Is there anybody else along the way? And as Mike Tomlin, did he discuss about how they've – have they been able to separate units and players and so forth? How's he going about that? You know, um, James Washington was another. Now, I don't know who had what um, because they're not allowed to release it. I was also told one of the guys, whoever it was, I think three guys have tested positive. One of the guys was asymptomatic, and the other guy had the sniffles. So it's not been been anything bad. But, you know, they're over at Heinz Field. Uh, you know, not their regular south side practice facility. They have the whole thing spread out. Even today, Mike Tomlin said he met personally in a meeting face-to-face with the veteran players. But he had the session being uh, 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 TV'd so the players could watch it on their handheld, their phones, their, their iPads, on the, and the monitors in, in Heinz Field so they could both see what see how it's being conducted and hear what he's telling the veterans. So the other players who weren't, uh, you know, they didn't put all 80 players in, in a meeting room. They only put, well, what would amount to maybe half that. But it's just little things like that that they've been doing. They've been doing this for a while. They have it figured out. Um, and, and we'll see. We'll see what happens once they have padded practices and they're on the field together. You know, I mean, I think that's going to be uh, is going to be big to determine what happens with the with the season going forward, Steve. So they, I, 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 you know, Mike Tomlin has talked repeatedly about how the process with um, you know the virtual meetings and everything, even though they're they're quote tired of them, uh, they'd rather not have to do them, but of course they 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 have to. But that they've they've navigated them very very well, and he says they've been very productive, and this goes back for a month or two. So from that standpoint he's satisfied and he understands look nobody's getting an advantage because everybody has to do the same thing so he likes what they've been able to do and what what they've been able to conduct in terms of whatever kind of playbook uh, sessions that they've uh, undergone but you know steve until they put them on the field you can i I can know that playbook doesn't mean i can execute it and and so that's what they'll find out once they get those guys uh, out on the field, even in shorts for a while, but then eventually, of course, when they put the pads on. Did Mike Tomlin indicate to you, Jerry, at all when the time of pad-to-pad might happen in this camp? Yeah, August August 17th is the first day the NFL allows players to uh, put the pads on. So they'll go through this week. Next week, Steve, is what they are calling the ramp-up period where they'll be out there in shorts, Things like that, uh, you know, it'll be like their OTA and minicamp sessions. There'll be one week of that uh, this week as the veterans are being tested, and uh, you know, with the for the, for the virus, and then they're just having some individual drills, things like that. But then next week it'll be more little some walkthroughs and and whatnot. And then August 17th is the first day they can put on the pads, and they get 14 padded practices before the first game of the season. So there, there's a lot of uh, strict uh, uh, protocols in there as to what they can do in terms of contact. 
and and when you can start it and what has to be done and it's the same <clears throat> excuse me for every NFL team Jerry, always a pleasure. Yeah, they, they, these don't feel like Q&As. They just feel like conversations among friends. Thanks so much. I appreciate you very much. Well, Steve, thanks. And you know, I always enjoy uh, uh, being on your show, and I uh, hope you stay well, and I'll catch up with you soon. The great Jerry Dulac, uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, also does a lot of great work on the Steelers Network as well. We've got... Uh, Phil Steele in the next half hour. Great to have you with us here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Steel next half hour uh, coming up. Talk about college football with him. My, uh, Michael Parsons officially opting out. Penn State saying that as of right now, there would not be fans in Beaver Stadium, but they'll wait and see what the governor's office recommends after that. The governor's office recommending no high school sports through January 1st, but it's only a recommendation. Each school board has to make up their own mind. PIAA's meeting. Delaware's already said no. They're not going to play sports in the fall. And we move on. And Tiger Woods, by the way, at 200 par, 60-80. Just finished at Harding Park. Justin Thomas shot 71, the leader. Jason Day after a 500 par, 65. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Micah Parsons opting out officially today for the 2020 season. He, he wants to graduate in December. It says his son came into play. He is comfortable with what Penn State's doing, but outside factors, and he's going to get ready for the draft. Penn State, as of right now, following the governor's guidance, which would mean no fans in the stands. Now, that doesn't mean in time it can't change, but as of right now, no fans in the stands. And the governor recommends that the high school sports would not start uh, any earlier than January 1st, but again... It's a recommendation. It's up to school districts. The PIAA is having a board meeting today to discuss what the governor talked about earlier and his recommendation. With that, went over to Barnes & Noble. Oh, yeah, Penn State, by the way, ranked seventh in the coaches' poll to start. Went over to Barnes & Noble, picked up my 
352 glorious pages of the Phil Steele Guide. And the, our good friend Phil Steele is back with us. Phil, great to have you with us. Football with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. First of all, I have to say this. You have to, if you want to know how thorough this is, this is so thorough that somehow, some way, my main man here found 22 fullbacks to rate in college football. <laughs> <laughs> how did you find 22 fullbacks? To rate? Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's definitely a dying breed, huh? But the NFL cherishes fullbacks, so, uh, you know, it's a good position if you're uh, wondering a, a position you could start at and maybe catch some NFL attention. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because one of them is Belichick will use a fullback. And yeah. as you and I both know along the way. All right. Um, what do 10 game conference seasons, although the Big 12 is going to be nine plus one, uh, what does that mean to how you view the college season? Uh, I'm fired up about it. As long as we're playing football in the fall, Steve, I don't care. You know, and the, yeah. my magazine is based on conference records, so I'd had nothing to do with the non-conference games or overall records. Each of my conference forecasts was based on conference records only. So, you know, adding one game to it, not going to change anything if a conference is adding a game. And uh, I'm just fired up. If we're, and I think we'll be playing football in the fall, and that's that's going to be pretty exciting. I agree with you completely. Now, your number five wideout, Rashad Bateman of Minnesota's opted out. Your number one corner, whom uh, Penn State was going to see, uh, Caleb Farley of uh, Virginia Tech also opted out. What does that do to the respective teams, Minnesota and Virginia Tech, on opt-outs like that? You know, in Virginia Tech's case, I don't think it's going to make a big difference because Virginia Tech had 10 returning starters on defense. That gives them nine on defense. He was clearly their best cornerback, but they actually had good depth there. They got uh, four guys at cornerback that have started in the past. They've got good size. And uh, when I talked to defense coordinator Justin Hamilton going over the defense with him, he felt pretty good about the depth that they had at corner. Now, with Minnesota, I think that will make an impact this year because, you know, remember last year, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, which one do you cover? And now, you know, Tyler Johnson gone off to the NFL, but at least Rashad Bateman was coming back along with Chris Ottman Bell. Now with both Bateman and Johnson gone, the top returning receiver, they go for, they lose both thousand yard receivers from last year. The top returning Chris Ottman Bell had just 371 yards. It goes from a position of strength, which I, I felt was one of the better receiving cores in the country, to one that's a little bit of a question mark and a lot less experience. In fact, you had Minnesota at number 36 on your wide receiving group. And obviously I was a firsthand witness to watching what Bateman could do and in combination with Johnson last year when we went out to Minneapolis. I want to stick with wide receiver for a moment. Rondale Moore, uh, we did not really get into his return. You've got Purdue as the number four uh, wide receiver unit. He obviously is a big reason why. When you watch Rondale Moore, obviously sitting out most of last year, what do you see in a player like him? You're just talking about somebody that can score any time he touches the football, and you want to get the ball in his hands any way you can. Give it to him on some uh, sweeps, uh, get him the football on short passes, long passes. He can do it all. And I, I love it where, you know, he's a guy that uh, when the ball's in the air, he feels the ball is his. And, and those are the type of receivers I really like. And remember last year, uh, Rondell Moore went down on the same play their quarterback, Jack Plummer, or not Jack Plummer, uh, uh, Sindelar went down against right. Minnesota. Elijah so, Sindelar. Exact- 
Yeah, and the exact same play, they went down to injury, and that, yeah. that really hurt the Purdue offense last year. And then a true freshman stepped up at the wide receiver spot, David Bell. David Bell is 6'2", 210. He became the go-to guy. Well, guess what? David Bell's back. Rondale Moore is back. They've got a pretty dynamic receiving core right now. David Bell, was that seeing him in person last year, I mean, he really is the real, he, he's a next-level guy, in my opinion. Uh, all right, so now I want to get to quarterback for a moment. With you know, everybody knows about the Givens. I want to talk about USC because when JT Daniels was recruited, he was going to be the next one, and of course now he's with Georgia. So, what did you see in Keaton Slovis, who took advantage of the opportunity? But what did you see in him that makes him a potential top-level quarterback? Well, you know, Clay held an extremely high on him. He's uh, 6'2", 200, and you, you look at his first road start and struggled a little bit there against BYU, but most quarterbacks struggle in their first road start right. and got injured, uh, didn't get to play the Washington game, missed a couple games with injury, and then came back. But uh, he has uh, just – he's unbelievably accurate. He's got good arm talent, uh, and he can make every throw on the field. He's also got good anticipation. Uh, and he's a guy that had four games last year with 400-plus yards. Now, granted, Steve, he's throwing to a tremendous receiving core. You know, yeah, so right. you and I could probably put up a couple <laughs> hundred yards against uh, with those receivers. But right. uh, he definitely showed a lot. And I tell you what, Coach Helton extremely high on Keaton Slovis heading into the year. All right. Uh, I want to get to going up, going down. Uh, you know, as to where they could be. You know, we'll base this on winning percentage, obviously. Uh, you got going down. One of them would be Virginia. What is it about Virginia that you just say to yourself, I just don't see them accomplishing what Bronco accomplished last year? Uh, a couple factors actually come into play there. First of all, they had a somewhat veteran team last year, and they had a quarterback who was dynamic in Bryce Perkins. Yes. Bryce Perkins was their offense. He was the, the leading rusher, the leading passer. And if you needed a play and it's third and eight, just get the ball in Bryce Perkins' hands. He'll make it happen. Gets you the first down. I thought he willed them to the ACC title game last year. Now, this year, Perkins is gone. And while Coach Mendenhall's got a lot of faith in Keaton Thompson and Brendan Armstrong, uh, Virginia is not as experienced, especially on the offensive side of the football, as they were last year. And the Coastal Division is probably the most upgraded division in college football. You start at the top with North Carolina. At one point, they were 4-6. and six. Right. They won their last three games. And last year, they had the number 105 most experienced team in the country. Well, this year, they're number 30 on the experience chart. They've got Sam Howell back at quarterback, oh. uh, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the country, loaded on defense, led by Chaz Surratt. You look at Miami. Miami added in De'Ara King from Houston. And two years ago, when he was quarterback for Houston, he had 36 touchdowns passing, another 14 rushing, 50 touchdowns, yeah. and he missed two games. I think he gives them exactly what they were missing, which was good quarterback play last year. Plus, they've got Gregory Rousseau back at Redshirt Freshman with 15 and a half sacks at defensive end. He's joined by Quincy Roche from Temple, who was the American Conference Defensive Player of the Year last year at Temple and transfers in. That's going to be a really good defense. Virginia Tech's got 17 returning starters, and they were much better once Hendon Hooker took over a QB. And then Pitt, Pitt had three guys turned down the NFL. Patrick Jones, a defensive end, nose tackle Jalen Twyman, yep. strong safety Paris Ford. They also had two defensive linemen miss last year with injury that are both back. That's a loaded defense. Yeah, and got, i got to tell you, Coach Narduzzi has been telling me about Kenny Pickett for years, saying he's going to be an NFL guy. If he lives up to that reputation this year, Pitt's going to be dangerous. So I think they're playing in 
in a vastly upgraded division this year, and they're not quite as good as last year without the with the loss of Perkins. As you mentioned, Kenny Pickett. Now, I'm going to go to North Carolina here in a second. But Kenny Pickett in 2018 against Penn State could not have played worse. Kenny Pickett in 2019 against Penn State could not have played better. I mean, so I can see what you're talking about. Because not only that, Pickett has the ability. He keeps his head up. You know this, Phil. He keeps his head up. He He looks to make pass plays. He doesn't look just to run. And I'm, I'm impressed by that. Yeah, and it's uh, like I said, Coach Arduzzi's been extremely high on him for three years, and even this year, I'm like, well, Coach, you didn't have great stats. He's like, Phil, this guy will be playing in the NFL. I'm telling you. I'm like, all right, all right. Three straight years of telling me, we'll we'll see it. <laughs> let's let's find out a little down the line for you and me both. Uh, <laughs> North, North Carolina, Mac is Mac Brown is in his second year there, and you know you mentioned Howell, who's, who was a as a true freshman, was just fabulous last year for them. But what are some other elements that's brought this together for him so that in a short period of time he has made them a greater threat in the ACC? Well, I would say, you know, first of all, I thought Larry Fedora did a good job at North Carolina. And you look at his last two years, they won three games and they won two games. But it wasn't because of lack of talent. They suffered through every bad break in the book. They had games won where they're thrown in the end zone, all of a sudden it's intercepted and returned for a touchdown. The score would have put them up by two scores and they end up losing the game. They had a massive set of injuries probably in both years. So I thought Matt Brown was stepping into a good situation. Now, the team was not overly experienced last year, but he got them to, you know, four six but won the final three the winning season the bowl practices and now they've got an experienced squad and i like the running game i rate their running backs number six in the country with michael carter and javante williams i like the receivers all the top guys are back from last year i rate them number nine in the country and as mentioned they've got chance surratt back at linebacker he was a quarterback a few years ago and now he's one of the top linebackers out there i think that mac brown's doing a fantastic job with this team and by the way, all the names you mentioned are were all recruited by Larry Fedora. So yes. I mean, and that's something that should be pointed out because Larry, Larry, he got them to the ACC championship game what five years ago, I think. I think they were eleven and one. Yeah. So not not. Yeah, I thought I thought you know a little bad knock, but I mean it's going to happen if you go get three wins and two wins in North Carolina. The odds are they're going to be looking for another head coach. So caught some tough breaks. Uh, I was going through coaches. And I was saying, who could benefit from a conference-only schedule? Who might not? And when I said who could benefit, I said it could be Clay Helton because now he's lost USC and Alabama off of his schedule. And really, Oregon is his biggest threat. Is that accurate? Hey, that's the first name that popped in my head when you brought that up. I'm like, Clay Helton, Clay Helton. Because, you know, they're not playing Alabama, and they're not playing Notre Dame this year, which is huge. And, you know, going over the talent of the Pac-12, the two most talented teams, to me, clearly are USC and Oregon. Yes. Uh, these two uh, both have the, the personnel on defense at every position and the personnel on offense. Uh, question marks for Oregon would be the offensive line's rebuilt. They've, they've got to break in a new quarterback questions that USC doesn't have. So I, th- I think USC uh, was the first team that jumped in my head when you said that, and uh, so I guess great minds think alike. Huh, <laughs> I think so, <laughs> at least on this one. Now, now, the, now, the one I flipped to the other side, who could this be bad news for in a conference-only schedule? The first guy I thought of was Derek Mason of Vanderbilt. 
Yeah, because he's going to lose any chance of uh, winning any games yeah. this year, probably, especially in the vastly upgraded East. Uh, so I, I think that, that does hurt him. And then I'm going to throw another one out at you. Uh, perhaps Josh Heupel at UCF, yeah. because, you know, last year they had a, a couple of uh, big wins, or the last couple of years they've been getting these Power Five wins. They opened with North Carolina. They played Georgia Tech. So they had a, a couple of Power Five games in there, which could have impressed and now they're probably not going to get that chance this year. We'll see. You know, the plus one out there for the ACC leaves that an open possibility. But I think UCF needs that. And i tell you what, Steve, I was not high on UCF last year. They're coming off a couple of unbeaten seasons. Mm-hmm. I picked them second in their division. And I got a lot of flack from UCF fans. But right. they didn't make the American title game. It was Cincinnati against Memphis. They lost three games. This year, there's really no flaws in this UCF team. They are loaded top to bottom, almost everybody back from last year. I think they have the makings of looking at an unbeaten season, and wouldn't that be too too bad for them if they couldn't get a couple of key non non conference wins? Exactly, and that that's that would be big for them. I want to stay in that state, though. I want to stay go to Florida next. Kyle Trask is back uh, now. Obviously, they lose what P Ryan at running back. What makes Florida the kind of team? that not only can not just contend in the East and challenge Georgia, but maybe challenge Alabama in the end if, if they were to get to a championship game? Well, I like the experience level, uh, and I think that's big this year. If you have an experienced head coach and an experienced team, then yes. you're in pretty good shape this year. If you're a first-year head coach yeah. with an inexperienced team like Michigan State, yeah. uh, you're you're going to probably go through a, a big learning curve this year. But defensively, I rate them number 10 overall. They have my number 11-rated defensive line, number 4 linebackers, number 12 DBs. So they're loaded in those areas. And offensively, you mentioned Trask. Trask did not even start a game in high school. So yeah. it was pretty much a, a big-time learning curve for him coming in. I thought he did great. I mean, 25 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. They've got talent at running back. I think the one thing they need is for a running back to emerge because they really did not have a running game last year. And Dan Mullen was unapologetic about not even trying to run it. Exactly. They need to do that this year, I feel. But the, the receiving core is loaded with Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts at tight end. The offensive line last year only had one returning starter. They're, they've got everybody back, and they probably have the better schedule than does Georgia. So I, I think they're definitely a player this year. I didn't pick them to win the East. I actually still won with Georgia. Yeah. But uh, those two teams are pretty pretty tough. And i got to tell you, Steve, about eight months of the magazine process, three and a half months I was picking Florida to win the East, four and a half months I was picking Georgia. <laughs> That tells me a lot. The new contender in the ACC, brand new. After 132 years, yeah. they get to compete for a conference championship is Notre Dame. Uh, we know about Ian Book. Right? There's no getting around that. What I find interesting is that nobody ever talks about the Notre Dame defense, yet they've turned out some good defensive players. They run that 4-2-5 scheme, Phil. What are the advantages you see in how Notre Dame runs its four two five and what are some of the disadvantages they have in running a four two five? Well, your disadvantage would be if you're playing a team that uh, likes to play with two tight ends, perhaps a fullback. You're a little bit smaller in the defensive front seven than a four-two-five, and uh, you can get that tight end matched up against your rover. But it seems like almost a lot of teams are now just adding that nickel back in, and we see a lot of teams playing yeah. five DBs. So right. it's almost like everybody is playing the same similar thing. And when I talk to coaches, and you know, they talk about tight ends and fullbacks, I'm like, that might be the way to start going with. Offenses because all the defenses are geared to stopping four wide. 
sides now. And uh, if you all of a sudden get those tight ends in there, you can create some mismatches. But when I look at Notre Dame, they do have a solid D. All three areas rank in my top units on the front of the magazine, all in the top 25. Yep. Defensive line, linebackers, DBs are solid on special teams. They've got one of the better kickers in the country in Dora. They've got an outstanding punter. Book is back at QB, and they have my number three rated offensive line in the country. You know, prior to this whole mess and reschedule and things like that, I was already looking forward to Notre Dame hosting Clemson yes. on November 7th. Yep. Now you wonder when that game's going to happen, but the fact that Notre Dame still gets to host Clemson, that's going to be a huge game in the ACC. And another huge game in the ACC, Steve, is going to be Notre Dame against that team we talked about, North yeah, Carolina. Right. Because uh, those two teams right there might determine who plays Clemson in that ACC title game. Right, exactly. Uh, and, you know, not only that, I, you know, it's intriguing that they're going to do this and they're going to kick some of their money in, too, I guess. Uh, their, their, uh, their NBC money is going to get kicked yeah. into this, which is really interesting. Uh, teams go, we mentioned teams going up down. I want to mention one team that you have up, and that is one that I think usually plays traditionally like a Big Ten team, and that is Stanford. Uh, what do you see in Stanford that allows them to have a possible ascent in the Pac-12? Well, you know, last year, Stanford had some injuries on the offensive line. They were mm-hmm. playing two or three freshmen on the offensive line at times, and it really affected their offense. They also had different starters at the quarterback position, uh, you know, and Davis Mills ended up uh, taking over for K.J. Costello. In one game, they even had to start Jack West, and that was just a miserable a game for disaster. Stanford. Yeah, he couldn't even complete a pass. It was just ugly. And so I think having stability at quarterback now with Davis Mills is a plus. Having the offensive line basically back, I mean, a player like Walker Little, he's an All-American left tackle and missed. Uh, he got injured in the opening game of the season. They had to throw a true freshman into his spot last year. They're going to have a much upgraded offensive line. Phil Steele, great to have him with us. And uh, Phil has already said to me he wants to be back uh Either after week one or after week two, whatever works out for the two of us. Uh, so Phil's going to be back, and it'll be great to have him back on the show. Looks like we're going to get Bob Lombardi on the show tomorrow, too. Talk about the situation with the thought processes with the PIAA, especially after the governor's recommendation. Again, not an executive order, right? It's a recommendation. There's a difference. Everybody has to make up their own mind as to what to do, and right now Penn State following that recommendation and guidance with uh, right at the moment planning not to have fans for games at beaver stadium all right chad great job today thank you good to be with you steve uh maddie will be back tomorrow yep. thanks for being with us here on news radio 1070 wkok brought to you by sunbury motors